Welcome to today's episode of Messing with Mio, the show where we will bunch up five random movies or other media that our host has recently seen. Our host will then rank the movies from best to worst based on five unfinished sentences that need finishing. Each sentence is directly correlated to a media-themed category, and each category determines where that movie ranks. First, let's take a look at our five categories and their ranking. Going from worst to best, they are VHS, Laserdisc, Betamax, DVD, and Blu-ray, or even better, the title of 4K Blu-ray. Our host will receive the aforementioned five sentences, which will each need to be completed through the use of one of the five aforementioned movies' titles. Five movies, five sentences. Last but not least, there are two categories that may be used as wildcards, lifelines of sorts. Those are film and digital copy. Now, please welcome your host, Steve. Hey, hey, how is everybody doing today? Fantastic, I hope. Now that you are all caught up on the rules, let's meet and get to know a little bit about today's contestants on Messing with Media. Right after this short break. Uh, boss? We don't have any sponsors who paid for this time slot. Welcome back. I have titled this episode, On the Oregon Trail. Because I was hoping for gold. I really was. But instead, I was bit by a snake, got cholera, typhoid, and the measles followed by a bout of dysentery. No, it wasn't that bad, but my crew didn't make it for the gold rush. That's a truth. Let's meet my crew that I went along on this journey with. First up is the movie The Block Island Sound, which currently is available on Netflix. It is a horror, sci-fi, thriller, rated TV ma, and says... On the island, a fisherman's family faces horrors and dark truths when an ominous force begins killing the wildlife and puts their own lives in danger. Up next is the documentary Kid 90, which was born on Hulu. It's a biographical documentary, rated TV math, and says, using hundreds of hours of home footage from child star Soleil Moon Fry, Kid 90 is a deeply personal, coming-of-age story that explores how, sometimes, we need to look forward to find our way forward. Next is the movie Coming to America, the sequel, not the original, which is found on Amazon Prime for free with a membership. It's a comedy, rated PG-13, and Rotten Tomatoes says, set in the lush and royal country of Zamunda, Newly crowned King Akeem, played by actor Eddie Murphy, and his trusted confidant, Semi, played by actor Arsenio Hall, embark on an all-new hilarious adventure 
that has them traversing the globe from their great African nation to the borough of Queens, New York, where it all began. Up next is the movie Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which lives in or on Disney+. Plus. It's an adventure, fantasy, rated PG-13. And according to IMDb, says, When Jacob, acted by Asa Butterfield, discovers clues to a mystery that stretches across time, he finds Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. But the danger deepens after he gets to know the residents and learns about their special powers. And up next is the movie Just in Time. 2020, very specifically. Which can currently be found on Netflix. It's a family, romantic comedy, rated TVG, and says... After being blindsided and losing her job, Mathuni finds herself taking care of her 11-year-old second cousin. Before I begin, remember I am allowed one pass for the primary five categories. If a pass is used, I must use one of my lifelines, those being film and digital copy. VHS or Laserdisc must be chosen from the fifth ranked position and film may not be used prior to my third selection. This was a really tough lineup, so I'm going to include you in on some of my strategy and thought process as I divvied up these movies in an order that I could defend while also matching them up with the most appropriate sentences. I have been starting my strategy sessions with a blank page of paper with the five movies and the five or seven sentences. And, uh... Here we go, strategy session number one. My first thoughts are that I'm not sure that I want to give any of these titles a Blu-ray ranking, and it's also a scramble for me on which of these that, that I would least recommend. To be honest, I do know who I will be tossing in the trash. That's going to be coming to America. Spoiler. But I'm not locking that in quite yet, because I need to figure out, like, right now, if I'm going to have a Blu-ray or not. I took a look at my notes again, and no, I'm not going to have a Blu-ray. I can't say that I loved any of these movies. I do have a clear-cut favorite, and I'm confident in suggesting it, so I know what my DVD will be. And this leaves me with three movies that I really don't know what to do with, and looking at the sentences from my wild cards, which I'm going to have to use one, I feel comfortable with using film which means that I'm going to have to just move on forward immediately here. I'm locking in my VHS selection with Coming to America. VHS. The secret sentence is, No, I do not recommend blank. Coming to America is terribly predictable, right down to the conversation had between the prince and his supposed-to-be wife-to-be towards the end of the movie. There are some callbacks to the original movie, and they're about as good as this movie gets, and that's never bueno. Unfortunately, it, it's not very interesting or funny. There's nothing new being said. It clearly is a movie that was created only to build off of the name of the OG property. Get some buzz. Get some clicks, and uh, that's really the sole purpose of this movie. 
One thing that I've seen complained about was how much Eddie Murphy's character doesn't portray some of the same values as his character from the first movie 33 years earlier. I was okay with Eddie Murphy's character, sort of uh, forgetting about the rebellion of his youth. But towards the end of the movie, when he talks about 100 years of tradition, then it kind of goes over that line for me. Much like Star Wars fans had an issue with Luke Skywalker's 180 degree um, change, I guess, in Return of the Last Jedi, this movie pulls a similar move. I actually didn't mind Luke Skywalker's changes. A man can change a lot over 40 to 50 years, and personal growth or decline is natural. But now I understand where those fans are coming from. Some elements of a character are so much who that person is that such a dramatic shift in theology really needs to have a good explanation. I understand why this movie was made, but no, I do not recommend coming to America. However, I do recommend coming to, spelt T-O, America. A little more strategy here. Um, Now really comes the tough part. I'm not necessarily going to choose the movie that I least liked, in part because that's not exactly what the goal of the show is, and also because these three options are all for very, like, specific audiences, so there are hairs splitting them apart from one another. My goal is to find that happy zone where the list represents the order in which I recommend these products while also staying truthful to the spirit of the sentences that represent each genre of media. Kid 90 really fits the sentence for Laserdisc really well, but after rereading my notes, I've decided that I cannot put Kid 90 lower than at least one of the remaining titles. And that kind of changes, you know, the whole game for me. I thought I knew the order that these would end up in um, based on my last strategy session, but I think I've actually got it now, and it's a fun little twist, so let's just go forward. I'm not going to give you any insight into my strategy anymore. I've figured out my order. Screw this next movie, The Block Island Sound. I knew I wasn't going to like this from the moment I came across it while, retor- uh, while I recorded my list of content that was coming out in March. I don't know what it was about it, but... I've got a freaking entire mini review written here, so heads up. Um, I would call this a slightly spoiled review. I'm not giving away the ending, but I may be tarnishing the journey a little bit here. The Block Island sound is getting locked in as my laser disc. Laser disc. The secret sentence is blank succeeded in some areas, but failed in others. About 90% of what I wrote about this movie is not good. I'm going to add right here, I've at this point in time gone online and read the reviews and I don't think that I missed anything in this movie. I questioned that possibility a few times in my review, but from what I see in the reviews, I, I just, I didn't miss anything and I am steadfast with my position on this movie. One thing I did notice was that in the audience reviews, the ones who liked the movie tended to give it four and a half or five stars. I will not go as far as to say that I think that this movie is a steaming pile. Without further ado, let's run away through, run away, let's run through my notes. And FYI, I'm going to alter the pitch of my voice to this. No. <laughs> to this for when I'm straight up reading one of my notes word for word uh, from while I was watching the movie. Let's go.
early on, we are introduced to a character who is all about these crazy conspiracy theories and his buddy, who I will be calling brother or uncle in my review. Um, and he tells him to shut up. I can't stand hearing about 9-11 and lizard people anymore. The conspiracy guy responds saying, that's fucked up. I don't believe in lizard people. Of course, now I'm thinking that might be a hint about the movie, so I wrote down two reasons for why I doubted the possibility of this movie being lizard people. I wish it had been, honestly. First reason was, I know the movie surrounds around a lot of dead fish. I'm not so positive lizards are known for eating fish. And... Conspiracy Guy also talks about these parasites, and that theory links up with the dead wildlife thing much more closely. It's tough to tell what I need to know. The movie is jumping around quite a bit early on. So, our main character? I dub her Lady. Lady arrives at the island and meets up with the town sheriff, and he just spits out some exposition to us. And frankly, I already gathered that this was a very small college town from the first time that the movie told me that. For something that I was informed of twice, this had a little bearing on the story. You were able to tell that it was a small seaside town island from from the, from the how it is, from the way it is. We learned that 9 to 10 tons of fish have died and beached on the island in recent history. Not sure what length of time that is over, but we'll assume a short length, and that is why Lady has been called to Island. In reality, the fish thing is pretty pointless to the movie, and it's, it's kind of obvious that the fish are a red herring. Pun not initially intended, but I left it in there. I'll fill you in on some details here. Lady, who is a scientist and here to research the fish, also brought her kid and will be staying at her childhood home with brother and dad. Lady doesn't really do much research during the movie. I mostly enjoy the kid's performance. She gets dropped from the story pretty early on. Child filming hours and whatnot. I understand how and why that happens in movies. We are 15 minutes in, and I'm assuming the dad's got a parasite. That explains his behavior. They must be trying to set up that this brother is a bad guy, but I would argue there is no way that that is the case. It's another red herring. Brother, a.k.a. uncle, a character that I actually got a couple of chuckles from, isn't being forthright with his observations and feelings on their dad's incredibly strange behavior. Later on, the movie tries to explain why, but it just, it does not make sense to me. I'm not buying it. No one would actually act like that in the real world. And Lady would probably have more questions, too. Dad is just so clearly not in great shape, in good shape, in okay shape. <laughs> the movie keeps asking, was it quote-unquote dark or light outside? In order to determine if Dad had gone out on his boat the prior evening or in the morning, the movie is very confident of the fact that since it was dark out, that means that Dad left last night. I've got a shocking bit of news for you, movie. This family, who was raised in a fishing town, is probably aware of the fact that a great time to go fishing is in the wee-wee hours of the morning. Also, no one uses clocks in this movie. Anyways... Strange Father disappears, and Lady is really taking this disappearance well. 
not like she's a suspect in anything, but just like, like bad writing. I saw a continuity, continuity error. That should be a word. Continuity in the movie, dude, brother, aka uncle, wildly scrawls over this big map that's in his room with a sharpie, and he wakes up and he walks past it, and it's blank. But the thing is, that definitely wasn't a dream. And it's not like he looks at the map weirdly wondering where his scrawlings went. I wouldn't be surprised if people try to make something up like he was dreaming it. If that happens, no. It was a straight up mistake, I guarantee it. Apparently, they couldn't hire a fifth grader to make this in-loving memory funeral poster thing. So instead, they digitally created it and the letters are literally floating. It's terrible. I don't understand why the hell the brother gets tossed in jail. They say the guy is going to press charges for getting his nose smashed in, but um, that didn't happen. There was no nose that got smashed in, so why did he get arrested? He literally didn't do anything except approach this random man aggressively after the man publicly accused him of murdering his own dad at a bar during the wake stages of a funeral. The last we saw of this mysterious nose-punching incident, 20 seconds earlier, the brother was being held back by about five people, and he was subdued. There's no chance of him getting through. The editor and the writer fucked that up horribly. I feel like the fucking ink gave away the creature already. What's taking so long, movie? It would end up being yet another stupid red herring. The ink meant nothing. The special effects were... Pretty terrible in the third act. Some effects look terribly close to the horrible effects of the skies in both Mortal Kombat openings. All right, a couple more quick notes, and then we are at the conclusion for this one. There is some very shaky dialogue at times, and the grainy filter that they used in this movie is not used consistently, and it's overly done. The ending clears things up a bit, and actually I like the link that they made between aliens doing research on us to humans doing research on fish. That said, I don't even know if the things I called out as red herrings were red herrings, or or maybe they had something to do with this plot. It's, It's possible? It's a convoluted story, and none of the aspects of filmmaking are great. Acting is probably its strongest point. How in hell this movie currently has a 96% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is insane. I did sprinkle in some positive, and here's a little bit more of that. I was intrigued about the mystery of this movie, and I did not end up feeling as empty as I did after like, the movie Open House, when that ended. But for me, it feels like another script that Netflix purchased which was never finished. They love the clearance section at the script store. And thinking about it now, I wonder if this sort of, if this movie was sort of like a lighthouse knockoff. I I think it is. And God save us if we are about to get a lot more of these types of movies. It's an indie horror film. It does a lot of things mediocre, but frankly, I just didn't care for it. If you're someone who is into horror, I've set your expectations low enough that you may like it. And so, the Black Island sound succeeded in some areas, mildly, but failed, clearly, in several areas. By default, that leaves me with a lovely little diddly, titled 
just in time. I'll lock that in as my Betamax. Betamax. The secret sentence is you could watch blank and or you could watch any of these three similar movie options. It's pretty low budget. The soundtrack sounds like something from The Sims video games or like a direct VHS movies from the 90s. And actually, this whole movie has a lot. It feels a lot like a 90s direct-to-home video movie. They definitely wanted to get their money's worth on the dolly that they rented for the movie. Um, There are a lot of dolly shots. As sarcastic as that note is, they actually do compose some pretty nice shots, though. I can see the thought and effort that was being put into this movie on screen. And that's always appreciated. Our main protagonist can be very snooty. Ashley, possibly the niece in this story. They did a great job of casting with her. She has a perfect I hate you look and the filmmakers knew it and they ran with that for sure. I wrote a second note about the soundtrack which said that it sounds very out of place. A quick bit of this movie that I'd like to share after a little digging up. It wasn't easy to find this information. The writer and uh, individual at the helm of this movie is a Nigerian filmmaker by the name of Dolepe Adelik, a.k.a. Lola D. She has won several awards, and if I recall correctly, I honestly couldn't find the source a second time, but I believe she received funding for this movie because of some competition, or maybe it was national funding. Whatever the case, she earned an opportunity that I'm sure many people would love to have, and here we are. It's not a very good story, and there are many issues with the characters and their behaviors, but let's play pretend here. It's a semi-lazy Saturday morning, and the kids want you to put on a movie. They're pretty young, so typically you aim for G-rated movies when you are choosing something randomly. You're aware that although you'll be seeing most of the movie, you'll also be running around to get laundry finished, and in about 40 minutes you need to make some lunch for the little monsters, and you're not even positive that they won't be playing with their toys anyways. None of you have anything specific in mind, so why not toss in just just in time? Toss on. Toss in is such a dated phrase. It's good enough, and frankly, I'd rather support someone who is putting love and care into their product than support something like coming to TWO America. And for that reason, you could watch Just In Time, or I guess you could watch The Block Island Sound, if that sounds more up your alley, but don't go around saying that I suggested it. I do have three suggestions for a different title that I watched, because at the time that I came up with these alternate suggestions, I assumed that I could just jam that movie right in the middle um, as my Betamax. However, as is the case when you're on the Oregon Trail, things happened. I'm going to lock in Kid 90 for my wild card, and I'm going to use my film. The secret sentence is, I don't recommend blank for everyone. However, if you dot dot dot. The documentary starts out with a lady from behind the camera asking a lady on camera why she feels her story has merit. The lady on camera, Soleil Moon Fry, responds, I think it's fascinating to be able to go back and have a true chronological blueprint 
of what it was to grow up as a teenager in the 90s. If you're like me and you don't recognize Soleil's name, at the age of seven, she was a child star. She played the role of Punky Brewster on the hit television show, Punky Brewster. I'm not familiar with the show. I had previously heard of the show and was aware that there was a famous child star whose character's name on a show was Punky Brewster. That's my level of connection with our subject. Based on the rest of the opening and all this home video footage, I was wondering if she legit documented her own life growing up. The answer to that question is yes. Yes, she did. It's actually pretty fascinating how much this woman documented and saved. So after 20 years of growing past this stage and having everything locked away, she says her big question going into this project was, did things happen the way she remembered them? I would say she did follow through with this question quite well. The documentary is a, it's a bit corny, but in an okay way. It's not salacious, and I enjoyed that it was not salacious. It does go over her everyday life over several years of growing up in Hollywood and New York as a child icon, and in fair detail, so that means the good and the bad. It's Hollywood, and she was a child star. If you want to know her story, I guess you'd need to watch the documentary. There are heavy topics and dark themes that pop up throughout her life. I'm happy to say I did not feel it ever got overly preachy or agenda-oriented. There was a minute or two where I wondered if it might take a turn and focus on one topic, but it continues as is. I think this woman has enjoyed documenting her life, and this was the next phase. It truly feels like a project of hers, given what you find out about who she is. The big question is, did Salel accomplish her goal? The one she stated at the start of the documentary. Well, she said, true chronological blueprint of what it was to grow up as a teenager in the 90s. The story is not told chronologically, and she grew up as a famous kid in Hollywood, so was it still possibly at least a blueprint of what it was like to grow up as a or any teenager in the 90s? To be honest, I'd say it's more like she showed just how universal of an experience growing up through the teen years is, regardless of status. That even if you were famous at seven years old, someone who grew up halfway across the world could still resonate with some of your experiences. I think the marketing team, and possibly Soleil herself, reached in regards to the nostalgic pitch of growing up in the 90s, at least compared to what I was expecting. It's much more real and focused than it is nostalgic, and that's actually sort of the entire theme of the documentary, right down to their choice of music. If you're younger than your mid-20s, then maybe pass for now. You need to have gone through certain life experiences or else this would really be boring. I didn't know all of her famous friends. I knew some. There are plenty of interviews with several of them, a good amount actually. It was not bloated though. Regardless of what I just said about nostalgia, it was neat to see some pretty famous celebrities remembered and forgotten from behind the curtain during those years of their life. Lastly, if you're a little older than myself, 
the nostalgic factor might go up for you uh, up until around the age of 40-ish. For anyone from the future, it's 2021 right now, and I was born in 1988. And for some of those reasons, I don't recommend Kid 90 for everyone. However, if you are intrigued but I, by what I said, then you'll probably like it. It's not excellent. But after I thought about it and went over my notes, it rose in my rankings a lot. Kid 90 was so close to being my Laserdisc, I literally began writing it into the Laserdisc, and then I backtracked. We were almost finished. Let's lock in my DVD, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. The secret sentence is blank gets my recommendation. This movie is a little over two hours long. I was surprised to see it was rated PG-13. And how did I miss the fact that this movie is four years old? I definitely made it sound new when I spoke about it. Um, I think in, like, in my March, what's coming new. I, I also believe I mentioned that this movie appeared to be a cross between Harry Potter and the X-Men. Eh-ish. I'd toss in a few dashes of a wrinkle in time in there and a pinch of Pan's Labyrinth. Onto my notes for the movie. I thought the movie had an interesting setup in that in the scene where a kid makes two toys come to life, the toys look a lot like a couple of the creations from Toy Story. A lot. <laughs> I very much appreciate Tim Burton's presence in this movie. It's not overly Burton-esque specifically in regards to the special effects. There appears to be a combination of practical effects being implemented to help enhance much of the CGI. It's possible some of this is more CGI than I assume it is. And even if they gave the effects such character that it really helps this movie, whereas many other folks would have just purely used CGI. There's a scene where Kid has a hand bow, basically a crossbow, He's moving around like he's trying to dial in on a target, but his target isn't moving. His target is swinging someone around, and that's who he's following with the bow. Just an odd detail I noticed. There are events taking place at a carnival, and all I can think about is how awesome this would all be if people were in real danger and getting slashed up. It could be one of those really fun action slash horror scenes that sticks in your memory, especially when you think about where the soundtrack goes for this scene. I could have gone for about five more minutes of that action. The biggest issues seem to be coming from the storytelling. Some things are a bit tough to follow, and understanding everyone's full motivations is a bit tough too. Another thing that wasn't necessarily a negative is the fact that there are some horrifying visuals, ideas, and scenes in the movie that tonally are terrifying enough to scare kids in the age group that may grow up to love this movie. I'm sure a nightmare or two will be induced from this movie. Actually, one more negative. The main character is pretty boring, which is part of why this movie drags in the second act, and that sort of goes hand in hand with my commentary about not being able to follow the story that characters are oddly not well fleshed out. I think this movie would have been at its best had it chosen to either be a kids movie or a movie for adults. Instead it toasts this line where 70% of it feels geared towards 8 year olds. 
but the other 30% of it wants to take itself very seriously with some more mature tones and visuals, and they just are not working as one unit. Deservingly so, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children gets my recommendation. For many reasons by this point in time, I feel that I owe you some further recommendations, and I told you that I, I did have some further recommendations um, about one of the movies that I thought I would be able to put in the middle. That was Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. So, I'm going to kind of go over those. If you like The Strange and Fantastic, but you prefer that it comes in a more violent form, I would suggest you check out the Netflix series Hemlock Grove. Season 1 rocks. Season 2 may be where the show peaks, and if I recall properly, by the end of Season 2, the show has already gone off of the rails. I may be misremembering that, though. What I do remember well is that Season 3 is dog shit, and you definitely should not bother watching it. If you like the X-Men aspect and or like the time-warping aspect of a movie like Miss Peregrine, so home for blah, 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 I would recommend the Netflix series The Umbrella Academy. It's based on a comic book series. It's more mature than the movie of Topic, and it's also really, really well produced. If you are into the romance side of fantasy, you may be interested in checking out the 2013 movie Beautiful Creatures. It's a movie that I've always remembered that I've seen, and I have a very slight desire to revisit it someday. I recall being pulled into the movie and enjoying certain aspects and visuals of the movie, what I don't recall were my end thoughts. This movie doesn't have the best ratings online, but I think I liked it. If it's one that you missed, I would check it out sometime. And it's, it's rated PG-13, FYI. Alright, let's recap today's hierarchy, starting at the top. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. In second was Kid 90. In third was Just In Time. Fourth was the Block Island Sound, and in last place, unfortunately, is coming to America. Thanks so much for sticking with me if you made it to this point. I have a bonus couple of opinions for you. I also watched Made You Look and The Last Blockbuster. Both are Netflix documentaries, and I have them on equal grounding, really, with Kid 90. None of the three were great, but they all had their strengths and weaknesses. The Last Blockbuster is a very casual watch, but there isn't really a whole heck of a lot there. Beyond possibly some nostalgia and a few actually interesting things along the way. Made You Look is about the world's biggest uncovered art fraud situation, and unfortunately it was only mildly interesting. Turns out these people are much better at keeping their lips tight than those who get into like the big cat business, for instance. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Tiger King documentary. Bunch of idiots outing themselves in that one. Of course, reading between the lines of those who are on the show Made You Look can tell you a whole heck of a lot, too. <laughs> 